This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. First and Last by Hilaire Belloc Chapter 33 Mr. The Duke, the Man of Malplaquet On the field of Malplaquet, that battlefield, I met a man. He was pointed out to me as a man who drove travellers to Bavai. His name was Mr. The Duke, and he was very poor. If he comes across these lines, which is exceedingly unlikely, I offer him my apologies. Anyhow, I can write about him freely, for he is not rich, and what is more, the laws of his country permit the telling of the truth about our fellow men, even when they are rich. Mr. The Duke was of some years, and his color was that of cedar wood. I met him in his farmyard, and I said to him, Is it you, sir, that drive travelers to Bavai? No, he said. Accustomed by many years of travel to this type of response, I continued, And how much do you charge? Two francs fifty, he said. I will give you three francs, I said. When I had said this, he shook his head and replied, You fall at an evil moment. I was about to milk the cows. Having said this, he went to harness the horse. When the horse was harnessed to his little cart, it was an extremely small horse, full of little bones and white in color, with one eye stronger than the other. He gave it to his little daughter to hold, and himself sat down at the table, proposing a meal. "'It is but humble fare,' he said, "'for we are poor.' This sounded familiar to me. I had both read and heard it before. The meal was a bread and butter, pasty and beer, for Malplaquet is a country of beer, and not of wine. As he sat at table, the old man pointed out to me that Contepan across the Belgian frontier, which is close by, was no longer profitable. The fraud, he said, is no longer a living for anyone. Upon that frontier, contraband is called the fraud. It holds an honorable place as a career. The fraud he continued, as gone long ago. It is burst. It is no longer to be pursued. There is not even a duty upon apples, but there is a duty upon pears. Had I a son, I would not pull him into the fraud. Sometimes there is just a chance, here and there. One can pick up an occasion. But take it all in all, and here he wagged his head solemnly, there is nothing in it any more. I said that I had no experience of contraband professionally, but that I knew a very honest man who lived by it in the country of Andorra, and that according to my morals a man had a perfect right to run the risk and take his chance, for there was no contract between him and the power he was trying to get round. This announcement pleased the old gentleman, but it did not grip his mind. He was of your practical sort. He was almost a pragmatist. Abstractions wearied him. He put no faith in the reality of ideas. I think he was a nominalist like Abelard. And whatever excuse you may make for him, Abelard was a nominalist right enough. For it was the intellectual thing to be at the time, 
though St. Bernard utterly confuted him in arguments of enormous length and incalculable boredom. The old man, then I say, would have nothing to do with first principles, and he reasserted his position that in the concrete, in the existent world, the fraud no longer paid. This said for the sixth or seventh time, he drank some brandy to put heart into him, and climbed up into his little cart. I by his side. He hit the white horse with a stick, making at the same time an extraordinary shrill noise with his mouth like a siren, and the horse began to slop and sludge very dolefully toward Bevai. This horse, said Mr. the Duke, is a wonderfully good horse. He goes like the wind. He is of Arab abstraction and comes from Africa. With these words he gave the horse another huge blow with his stick, and once more emitted his piercing cry. The horse went neither faster nor slower than before, and seemed very indifferent to the whole performance. "'He is from Africa,' said Mr. the Duke again meditatively. "'Do you know Africa?' "'Africa, with the French populace, means Algiers.' I answered that I knew it, and that in particular I knew the road southward from Constantine. At this he looked very pleased, and said, I was a soldier in Africa. I deserted seven times. To this I made no answer. I did not know how he wanted me to take it, so I waited until he should speak again, which he soon did, and said, The last time I deserted I was free for a year and a half. I used to conduct beasts. That was my trade. When they caught me I was to have been shot. I was saved by the tears of a woman. Having said this, the old man pulled out a very small pipe and filled it with exceedingly black tobacco. He lit it, then he began talking again, rather more excitedly. "'Is a terrible thing, and an unhappy thing, none the less,' he went on, "'that a man should be taken out to be shot, and should be saved by the tears of a woman.' Then he added, "'Of what use are wars? How foolish is it that men should kill each other? If there were a war I would not fight, would you?' I said I thought I would, but whether I should like to or not would depend on the war. He was eager to contradict and to tell me that war was wrong and stupid. Having behind him the logical training of fifteen Christian centuries, he was in no way muddle-headed upon the matter. He saw very well that his doctrine meant that it was wrong to have a country, and wrong to love it, and that his patriotism was all bosh, and that no ideal was worth physical pain or trouble. Two such conclusions had he come at the end of his life. The white horse, meanwhile, slouched. Bavai grew somewhat nearer as we sat in silence after his last sentence. He was turning many things over in his mind. He veered off onto political economy. When the rich man at the manufactory here, the place where they sell phosphates for the land, when he stands beer to all the workmen and to the countryside, I always say, fools, all this will be put out of the cost of the phosphates. They will cost you more. Mr. The Duke did not accept John Stuart Mill's proposition upon the cost of production, nor the general theories of Ricardo upon which Mill's propositions were based. In his opinion, rent was a factor in the cost of production, for he told me that butter had gone up because the price of land was rising near the towns. In what he next said I found out that he was not a collectivist, for he said a man should own enough to live upon, 
and he said that this was impossible if rich people were allowed to live. I asked him what the politics of the countryside were and how people voted, and he said, The politicians trick the people. They are a heap of worthlessness. I asked him if he voted, and he said yes. He said there was only one way to vote, but I did not understand what this meant. Had time served, I should have asked him further questions, upon the nature of the soul, its ultimate fate, the origin of man, and his destiny, whether mortal or immortal, the proper constitution of the state, the choice of the legislature, the prince, and the magistrate, the function of art, whether it is subsidiary or primary in human life, the family, marriage. Upon the state he had already informed me, and also upon the institution of property, and upon his view of armies. Upon all these other things he would equally have given me a clear reply, for he was a man that knew his own mind, and that is more than most people can say. But we were now in Bavai, and I had no time to discover more. We drank together before we parted, and I was very pleased to see the honest look in his face. With more leisure, and born to greater opportunities, he would have been talked about, this man of Malplaquet. He had come to his odd conclusions, as the funny people do, in Scandinavia and in Russia, and among the rich intellectuals and usurers in London and Berlin. But he was a jollier man than they are, for he could drive a horse and lie about it, and he could also milk a cow. As we parted, he used a phrase that wounded me, and which I had only heard once before in my life, he said, We shall never see each other again. Another man had once said this thing to me before. This man was a farmer in the Northumbrian hills, who walked with me a little way in these days when I was going over Carter Fell to find the Scots people many, many years ago. He also said, We shall never meet again. The End of Chapter 33